Hello, family. Grab your Bibles, uh, open them up to the book of Jude with me. We're going to be focusing on those last two verses, verses 24 and 25, but I want you to keep your Bibles open and on your lap because uh, we're going to skim through the entire letter. It's a very short letter. It's one page. But please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. Jude 24, 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open your word to us so that we might understand it. Please open our hearts to your word so that we might receive you and love you deeply. Amen. We've been talking the last few weeks about how to endure trials to our faith in God. And we've learned uh, that trials come in a variety of shapes and sizes, and many times they come from forces outside the church. Today, as we look at the little book of Jude, we're going to see that trials to our faith also come from forces within the church. And so let's do a quick overview of Jude's letter to get a handle on the situation uh, that, that he is in. Jude is writing his church because some false teachers have crept into the congregation and they've established significant relational connections. These individuals, or maybe they were couples, they're exerting great influence over people, but they're doing it in like an informal side door kind of way. They're, you know, they're unofficial teachers. They're people that are just talking to whomever will give them a listening ear for as long as they'll listen to them. And here's the deceptive part. These false teachers claim to know and follow Jesus. Okay, they claim to be Christians. They claim to be fellow brothers or sisters in Christ, but Jude says they're not. And his proof is that they actually live a perverted understanding of the grace of God. And they also deny the lordship of Christ with their lifestyle. Look at verse 4. Jude says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And so there's two main teachings uh, of these influencers, and they really go together. First of all, they, they claim that we're free in Christ to do whatever we want. We're free in Christ, so we can do whatever we like. Grace means that we do not need to live by any moral law, because that would be oppressive, and that's just being legalistic. Do what makes you happy. And secondly, they scoff at and reject authority, especially Christ's authority. 
So think of it this way. Every conversation uh, devolves into a power struggle with these people. They're not concerned about whether something is true or if it's good or if it's beautiful. It's who has ultimate authority. And grace means that the only authority they recognize is themselves. They're all about autonomy. Look at verse 8. It says it right here. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So these false teachers claim that they don't need to be under any authority because uh, they boast about having special experiences and special insight directly from God. God's their only authority. They've come to uh, set these Christians free from oppression. They're going to set the Christians free from this gospel of Jesus that they've been believing in. In fact, if you look at verse 12, they claim to be looking after the souls of others, but Jude says that they're really only looking after themselves or shepherding themselves. So their strategy for gaining a following is, is by flattering people who give them a hearing. You know, it, it sounds like this. Well, you you obviously aren't stupid like all those other people. I mean, you are obviously awake and can see what I see and what's really going on here. That's flattery. And the other way is by maximizing discontentedness in a very abrasive, very loud way. Look at verse 16. Jude says, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, and they are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. To gain advantage. They want to they have a following. Instead of being soft-spoken and humble like the Jesus that they claim to know, they're loudmouthed. Instead of seeking contentment in all circumstances, They refuse to seek contentment. Instead of desiring unity within the church, they seek to destabilize the church to gain their own following of people. They want to build their platform. And what they're doing is working. This is why Jude is writing this letter. They they are influencing uh, the believers in this church because their words are scratching some people right where their ears itch. And people are like, I like the sound of that. I like that. Tell me more. And here's the result. It's causing divisions within the church. Look at verse 19. It's these who cause divisions. The worldly people devoid of the Spirit. They claim to be Christians, and Jude is saying, nope, they're worldly people and they're devoid of the Spirit. They're causing divisions. So the longer that, peop- the longer that people listen, uh, the more people are getting sucked in and swayed by their way of thinking about things. Some are gradually uh, leaving the true faith of their Master and Lord Jesus by living however they please, rejecting His authority, and becoming boastful about it. Look how free I am. It's really difficult to live in live in community with people who think and behave like that, right? I mean, it, it, it's hard because it causes division instead of promoting unity. 
What's, what does that have to do with us? Well, that kind of teaching, that kind of influencing still goes on today. One day, we will regather to worship the Lord Jesus. Here's a pastoral concern that I have. Whenever and however we regather as a church, it has the real possibility of tearing the unity of our church that many of us has worked so long to preserve. If for days upon weeks we have all been giving ear to this kind of self-centered teaching and influencers, the kind that Jude has been describing, it can cause us to behave mercilessly to each other, and worse, to deny the very Christ that we claim to worship by our actions. But, on the other hand, if we hold fast to our Lord by faith, that day could be the greatest opportunity to bring glory to the Lord that Crossway has ever had. Dear brothers and sisters, I, I want you to feel what is at stake here. Will we be able to trust Christ when trials threaten to corrupt our trust? Jude paints a bleak picture here, but you know what? He ends his letter with wonderful optimism and hope. He answers the question by saying, yes, we can. We can and we will preserve our trust in Christ. Through our efforts, God's promise, and Christ's awesomeness. That's kind of how I've broken this down. And so let's look at each of those in turn. We will preserve our trust in Christ as we keep ourselves in the love of God. As you and I keep ourselves in the love of God. Look at verse 20 and 21. But you, beloved building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Jude points out that false teachers are, uh, that are dividing the church, they've moved from their place, and he is urging the church to not move with them. They, they are living for themselves in the name of freedom in Christ. And this actually proves that they've moved away from God's grace. How do we know? Jude says because they have not kept themselves in the love of God. So when you look at their behavior, it is clear that they do not love the Lord Jesus When you listen to what they say and how they say it and what they are emphasizing in their speech, you do not hear their love for Christ coming through. Actually, what you hear is that they love themselves the most. They love their glory the most, and they're all too happy to tell you about their glory. And you know what? Jesus said the very same thing in John 15 that Jude says here. In John 15, verse 9 and 10, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. That means keep yourself in my love. That's his command, right? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. 
just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. I am kept in his love. What keeps us loving God experientially? What, 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 what stokes our affections for God experientially? Jude and Jesus tell us, obeying him. Isn't that crazy? Obeying him. Doing what pleases God actually causes us to love God more and more and more. Disobedience never causes us to love God more and more, right? You know why? Because when we obey, we see that his way is actually actually is good for us. We see that his way is actually wise. We see that he really does love us like he says he loves us. And what's the result? The result is that our hearts move closer and closer to God, not away from him. We keep the faith by keeping ourselves in the love of God. So, so how do we stay in love with God and not fall in love with something else during this trial? That's the question. Well, Jude tells us in verse 20, he says, by building yourselves up in the holy faith. My brothers and sisters, look at what you're reading. Take a look at what you're consuming for hours on the internet right now. What, what, what are you looking at on Facebook and then spreading around? And then ask this question. Is this good building material for faith? Is this building up my desire to be holy? Or is this tearing down that desire? Is, this the res- is the result of this, is the fruit of this, that my desire to please Christ is increasing? Or do I desire to please myself more and more after I read this or listen to this or watch this? Guys, I want to encourage you to take some time each day to read the scriptures, which builds up our faith. It causes us to want to be holy. You can also do this. You can listen to praise music. You can listen to gospel music throughout the day. These things build us up in the holy faith. Here's another way that we stay in love with God and that we love him above all other things. In verse 20, Jude says, praying in the spirit, praying in the spirit. The church prays together for one another. This only happens as we pray. I mean, these are some real temptations that we're fighting against, and we we have to fight against them with the weapons that God has given us, and that is prayer. We pray that our fellow brothers and sisters would stay in the love of God. We pray that their hearts would not be taken captive by self-centered or scoffing behavior that would like to draw them away from Christ and cause them to not trust Him. Praying in the Spirit means that we actively, regularly, maybe even daily, call upon the Holy Spirit in prayer to grant our brothers and sisters the desire to be holy and the desire to trust Jesus faithfully. You see, apart from the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, our hearts will grow cold to the Lord during a trial. It will. You're not that strong. I know I am not that strong. And so we must humble ourselves. Prayer is actually an act of humility. 
And we have to ask the Holy Spirit, would you warm our hearts with the love for God? Would you warm my brother's heart, my sister's heart for loving God? Help them love you, Lord, and help me love you. Secondly, we preserve our trust in Christ by remembering God has promised to keep us. We need to remember that God has promised to keep us. Look at verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Guys, this is the paradox of being a Christian. If we are going to going to persevere in trusting God until the end of our life, if we are going to be kept in the faith during a trial, then we must play an active role or we will stumble. I mean, there are so many stairs that would lead our hearts away from loving and obeying our only Lord and Master Jesus Christ, to, to use Jude's word. Am I right? There's so many snares, so many traps. We will love his benefits, but we'll not actually love Christ. We'll love his benefits, but we'll resent his authority in our life. But we are only able to keep believing in him because he has first kept us believing. That's what Jude is saying here. Any ability that we have to hold on to Christ is because he is first holding on to us. Jude reminds us of of this great promise. God is able. God is able to keep you from stumbling into lawless sin. God is able to keep you from leaving the faith, to keep you from letting go of him. He is able to do that. Just picture this. Picture a fireman rescuing a little child from a burning building. Just blazes it, 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 blazes are going all around this child. He picks up the child, covered with soot and covered with filth, and he takes the child into his arms and he says, Hold on to me and I will save you. Hold on to me and I will save you. The only reason that the child is able to hold on to the fireman is because he has first held on tightly to the child, right? But what if the child lets go before they get out of the fire? What, What happens if along the way... Her trust fails and she starts to struggle to get out and to do her, go her own way. Or what if she just gets tired of holding on? She just gets fatigued and she lets go of her rescuer. Will she fall into the flames? No. No. Because the fireman holds on to her. He is able to keep her. He is able to preserve her so that even though she stumbles, she will not fall into the flames. The only reason that you and I are still holding on to God right now is because he is holding on to us, brothers and sisters. Do you hear what I'm saying? The only reason that you and I are still obeying him, still trusting 
in his authority and dominion, still submitting to his will, is because he has kept you in the faith. The only reason that we have not fallen into the flames of self-seeking pleasure is because he has kept us. We are kept people. If it were not for God keeping us, we would fall away from him in a second. Our heart would be become callous and become cold towards him in a second. Fall away, we'd walk away. If it were not God's power and ability to keep us, we'd be just like the people that Jude was describing. Using grace as an excuse to sin against Almighty God. You see, we're no better than them. We're no better than them, are we? Haven't you and I entertained thoughts of sexual immorality? Haven't we stumbled into selfish living and tried to justify it? Have we not boasted in our knowledge and tweeted out all of our complaints just like them? I mean, do you, do you realize this? Do you realize that any of those stumbles, any of those stumbles could have caused us to let go of the goodness of God? That They could have tempted us to reinvent the gospel of Jesus once delivered to all the saints? But praise God, He kept us so we wouldn't let go. I mean, doesn't that thought amaze you? It amazes me. That doesn't... That promise humble you, and, and doesn't it inspire you at the same, t- same time? God was able to keep me then, and God is able to keep me trusting in Him right now. Amen. Thirdly, what keeps our faith in Christ is when we bask in the awesomeness of Christ. When we bask in the awesomeness of Christ, I I just didn't know another way to put it. (laughs) Look at verse 25. To the only God, so there's only one person in charge, right? There's only one God. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. The message of the false teachers is satisfaction, salvation, right? Satisfaction comes from being in awe of yourself. The message of the gospel is satisfaction comes from being in awe of God's glory as displayed through Jesus Christ. That's where satisfaction comes from when you are in awe of Jesus. Jude stacks up word upon word to help us worship Christ above all things. He says, to him be all glory. Glory means value or worth or even more literally weight. You know, when things weigh more in substance, they're usually more valuable. The weight and the wealth of living in the presence of Christ without the spot of sin is far richer than anything else in this world that we feel like we're missing out on, brothers and sisters. Oh, to share in His glory, you won't miss out on a thing. To Him be all majesty. You know what majesty is? Majesty is the overarching grandeur and beauty of something. 
The gospel says that Jesus is the only sovereign king of the entire universe. And and the gospel says that this mighty, glorious king, this king of glory, died a humiliating death for people who rebel against him. Instead of punishing us, he saved us. And not only did he save us, he saved us at great cost to himself. Are you kidding me? Who else does that? Jesus is the only majestic king. That is grandeur and beauty. Amen? To him be all dominion and authority. These concepts actually go together and they mean like jurisdiction and power. Jesus has jurisdiction over all creatures and over all spheres of our life. And that is actually a very good thing, Jude tells us. Jesus was handed over by evil men only because they acted within his jurisdiction. The sky turned dark at the brightest part of the day. Why? Because all nature is under the jurisdiction of Jesus. Death let go of him on the third day because death itself is under his jurisdiction and works for his glory. But unlike any other king in all of history, Christ did not use his jurisdiction and his authority and power to serve himself but rather to serve us. That is why the gospel is so amazing. Christ is the king to whom we gladly surrender our will. Christ is the king to whom we gladly render all our trust. He is the king to whom we gladly pledge our devotion. We gladly pledge our affection and and adoration and love. To him belongs all glory and majesty, dominion and authority before time began and right now and forevermore. And the church said with one voice, Amen. Let's pray. Glorious, majestic Jesus who has all dominion and authority and power and all of creation. We love you. We worship you. Jesus, would you please bless us by bending our knees and helping us confess that you are Lord. Help us see how awesome you are. Help us see how generous and how good and merciful you've been to us and how much you have loved us. And Lord, would you draw our hearts to love you more than anyone and anything in this world? Keep us trusting you in the trials. Keep us believing in you. Don't let us let you go. Don't let us let you go. We thank you that you are able to keep us. Amen.